Welcome to Blooming Out, Indiana's only LGBTQ news and public affairs show featuring music, events, and interviews, both local and global. From the WFHB studios in Bloomington, Indiana, this is Blooming Out. Good evening and welcome to Blooming Out on WFHB. I'm Ryan Shaddy. Happy Pride Month, everyone. Yes, and I'm Jeff Poling. We'll have our featured music this evening, this week's LGBT news headlines, and the area's event calendar. But first, we'll have an interview with a very special guest this evening. Blooming Out on WFHB. She was the first openly lesbian comedian to appear on Late Night with David Letterman. <laughs> the first openly lesbian comedian with an HBO special. Her stand-up comedy appeared on Comedy Central's Short Attention Span Theater and Stand Up, Stand Up. She's been the winner of the Best Comedy CD at the Gay Lesbian American Music Award. And her comedy special and documentary, A Bottom on Top, appeared on Logo in 2007. I am so excited to welcome to Blooming Out, Suzanne Westenhofer. Hi, Suzanne. Hi there. <laughs> I, you know what? When I hear you um, saying all those things, you know, I, I never let people do that when they're going to introduce me live on stage, like, you know, and me, whoever that person is. Because doesn't it sound like... And then she did this, and then she did that, right? You've done you've done so many wonderful things, and you know it was well. And of course, I had to, to totally trim up the intro because if I actually listed everything, <laughs> we would we would be here for a while. But we're so glad that you're here. We're we're not only excited to have you on the show. Um, but for those of our, our listeners who do not know, you are going to be appearing at the Spencer Pride Festival this Saturday, June the 4th, and we are super excited about that. Listen, I'm thrilled because, I, first of all, I, I came out a million years ago, okay, 1981. I was four. You know, and then I moved to... Uh, New York City, and we I would go to those prides in New York, and it was so big a deal. And then you would go out into the um, the rest of the country, and the prides would be smaller, but this, it's the same idea, do you know what I mean? It's the dykes on bikes. Right. First, do you know what I mean? But there's this extra, there was always this extraordinary sort of like, this is our time, to, like, show the world who we are, how proud we are, all that stuff. And then it got very, like, oh, we have to do pride because of the AIDS crisis and because of this. And, you know, it became very, you know, like we were activists. Sure. Then it kind of got into, remember when it sort of got into, I don't know how old you are, then it got into sort of like like a party. It was just, like, drinking, party, crazy, who had the best clothes. Then it got like a holiday, like Martin Luther King Day or something. It was like, you would hear, I would hear people, like especially people in their 40s and 50s, oh, is it pride again? I kind of felt like we had to re-educate some of the, the younger generation on what 
what is pride? Didn't, didn't that, doesn't that kind of freak you out or kind of surprise you when you have to tell someone who's younger? Now, what is pride? What, what do you do? So that's what I'm saying. I feel like I'm hoping that we're getting, but we're kind of coming around again to it being where people sort of understand that this isn't, it isn't just going out and partying. Right. It isn't our um, Super Bowl. Right. You know what I mean? That's, I mean, like, the truth of it is it, it comes from a very deep place where we are supposed to get, you know, like where we can talk because if you think about Pride, especially like in the 70s and the 80s, if you didn't see somebody at Pride and you didn't have a bar close to you, when did you see everybody? When did you even know what was going on in your community? It was how we communicate. Right, right. Um, you know, without the social media at at the time, that's, that is what we... We did, and you're you are all over the the country. I, I just I love looking at your your website, which is suzannew.com, right? <laughs> and you have um you're you're in Orlando, you're in you're at New Jersey Pride, you're in Phoenix, you're in Lexington, Kentucky, Rehoboth Beach, the Outer Banks, P Town, to mention just a few of them. Yeah, and. And I know you have um, a wonderful, rich history with with many of them. Um, you're originally from New Jersey, is that correct? Oh, I'm actually from a little town in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Oh, Pen- that's right, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Yeah, after college, I moved to Jersey, and I got to tell you, it did feel like those were my people. But uh, I'm an East Coast girl. Then, though, here's how I fit into Indiana. I met a girl, what? And I lived in Columbus, Ohio, from. Was it 93 to, like, 2002? Come on, that's pretty good, right? I was half, I was living there and living in Los Angeles, going back and forth. But, I mean, like, you know, I had a home and dogs and stuff. I have a little Midwest in my blood, just a little. Right. Now, now you're you're based in West Hollywood now, is that is that right? Officially, I live one block out of West Hollywood. I see. It means nothing to you. <laughs> it's a very big deal when it comes to parking. So tell me something about Spencer, Indiana, as far as their pride. Like, it's not the very first time you've ever had pride. No. In fact, it is their 10th anniversary, which is super exciting. It's a big deal this year. It's been wonderful every year. But um, HuffPo Gay Gay Voices has done an article on them, not once, once, but twice. Wow. You know, they, they, they uh, say a couple of things like it's the only drag show that in the country that is on a courthouse lawn, which I would probably, I'm not 100% sure of that, but I'm thinking that's probably pretty accurate. I, I'm just, I'm sitting here trying to think, like, because I'm, I'm like, over the course of the years, I've been to um, some fights, you know what I mean? I was just trying to think, is there one at the courthouse? You know, Roanoke. Roanoke, Virginia may be near the courthouse. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm sitting here trying to think, and I think, you know what I mean? But wouldn't that be a funny thing to find out, like, if we could, like, send in the picture of where your pride rally is, and then we just made some big, giant book of where they all are held every year? Right, right. It's sort of weird, wouldn't it? it, it it's a very special um, a, a event, and... Um, the people that spend time there uh, are one of the things that I've always been most impressed with. It's very family-friendly, as in all ages. There are all kinds of things going on with for the kids. and. 
Awesome for you, harder for the comics. Yeah. <laughs> something you should know. That's why, like, because people um, will ask you to host their gay pride rally, uh-huh. and they don't understand why so many comics say no. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, I, and I will tell you, it's because I, I don't have to be different when I stand in front of an audience of all straight people or all gay people or... Jewish and Gentile or black or white or anything. It doesn't matter what the mix is. Right. The moment it becomes daylight and there are people under 18, right. it's like a completely different... You have to be so, like, on your toes. Because you don't want to be out there just throwing the F-bomb all over the place. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure, yeah. We are... Um, we're going to to take a, uh, a, a quick break right now, Suzanne, and, and then we're going to get back to talking about so many things, including um, what you've what you've done, what what you're going to do. Um, talk more about Spencer Pride with you, and um, I will tell you that the community is just delighted that you are coming. So I appreciate you taking the time to 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 speak with us today, and we'll be we'll be back very shortly, and we will return to the second part of our interview with Suzanne Westenhofer in just a few moments. Now we'll turn to Ryan with our first music break of the evening. Thanks, Jeff. From out, Trey Pearson, the front man of Christian rock group Everyday Sunday, came out recently as gay in an interview with Ohio's 614 magazine, where he also penned an open letter to his fans detailing his decision. Pearson, currently married to a woman, has raised two children. At the age of 35, he's made the decision to come out now because he says... To make an extremely long story short, I have come to be able to admit to myself and to my family that I am gay. It is like this weight I have been carrying my whole life has been lifted from me, and I have never felt such freedom. The musician cited his faith as the main reason for his delayed openness with himself and the world. I was scared of what God would think and what all of these people I loved would think about me, so it was never an option for me. And congratulations to Trey for his important decision. Here is Everyday Sunday featuring Group One Crew with a new beginning. Yo, this kind of jam that you roll the windows down and let the afro flow. Yo, Trey, they gonna love this one. Man, Wheezy, Group One, what you know about this? Come on. Oh, there's something different. It's got me shivering. A feeling I've never had. The stadium, the team came back to win, and the crowd just let out a roar. You got an energy I can't describe. I was dead, but you gave me life. You're there to rescue me every time, right when I think it's over. Keep me hanging on. You are my new beginning. You So 
winning, so I'm winning like I told ya. Feeling, feeling good, and it's amazing, so I hold ya. Tied against my heart, and it's a start of something closer to feeling so lucky, like I'm adopted by Oprah. And there ain't nothing you can't do. It's like my heart is on repeat, playing just you. And if I gotta tell the world, then that's what I'm gonna do. Cause Jesus, you the bomb. This song is just a fuse. Yep. Let's go. Support for Blooming Out comes from Indiana University Health Bloomington. IU Health Bloomington provides hospital-based specialty care as well as community health services like Positive Link, a care coordination site for people living with HIV AIDS. Positive Link offers confidential HIV testing as well as HIV prevention education. To learn more about Positive Link, you may call 812-353-9150 or visit iuhealth.org slash Bloomington. We will now return to our conversation with Suzanne Westenhofer here on Blooming Out on WFHB. WFHB on Blooming Out. We are, you know, we did sometimes, <laughs> you know, those bathroom breaks just never last long enough. That's the problem, right? Hey, these days, as long as you know which one you're allowed in, should we make that a bigger deal? Oh, my goodness. And that is a great, great thing to talk about because I know you are an activist from, but you know, there has been, um, wow, let's see, we're, there, there, you know, part of, of your, your, of your shows, you know, we, we talk about the contents of your shows and it's, 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 it's your life experience. It's, it's your observations and everything, right? Tell um, stories that are and make them in a funny you know make them be funny as opposed to traditional bada bing bada bing joke i do some of those but mostly i do you know kind of stories and sort of you know, what happened to me and how it would be if you were there and right I want it so that everybody feels involved i i can't sit here though and tell you that i mean like any other comic i'm out there on purpose to push some envelopes around most comics are to make you think, to make you question, to make you laugh at something that, like for a long time I was doing a piece uh, because a good friend of mine uh, was diagnosed with cancer. So I was doing a lot of comedy around being friends or being close to or loving someone who has cancer. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason that you do that is so that everybody in the audience who knows or has, or, or has had cancer or is dealing with it get that minute to go, okay, it is okay, it's funny. Right. It's not to mock it, per se. Do you know what I mean? That's not the idea. Sure. Part of, part of what I get to do, I guess I should say, part of the 
fabulousness of what I get to do for my job is allow people to laugh at things that aren't, you know, funny, and they're not innately funny. Right. Sometimes they're hard. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? Now, is it true that you never do the same show twice because you never write anything down? It is true. It is. um, It's just the way I work. Um, If you see me do, like, four shows in a row, it isn't that it's not you're not going to kind of know where I'm going. Right. Or, you know what I mean? It's just that I don't have, and not every comic does, but a lot of comics and a lot of, uh, you know, they, they do a very standard, like, here's my setup, here's a little something else, here's the punchline. Mm-hmm. You know, and they practice, and they, they have a, that's one style. Mine is just very sort of, a little more off the cuff, a little more crazy. Now, the truth, um, it, it, it's Spencer. Because I'm outside, uh-huh. I will be more careful, as we, you know, we kind of talked about that, than I would normally be. But I've been doing outside gay pride events since 1991, I think, it was right. the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, I know how to do it and still make you laugh without saying anything that will get anybody in trouble. Sure. Although I can't guarantee that. I have definitely gotten myself in trouble. <laughs> is, is So... So there, I'm, yeah, I mean, there are comedians who come under fire for that, right? Because the material was offensive, you know. Was there a time when you've, you've taken things too far and you've had to... When I'm doing a stage show, I am trying to poke you. Right. I'm hosting Pride. I'm a gay person first. Right. You know what I mean? And I want my message and my fun, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the day isn't, it's not my show. It's a day about us. About all of us. I got in trouble in Norfolk, Virginia, because I had been hosting all afternoon, and there was—I don't know if I got a little tired or something happened—but I left the—I let the uh, f-bomb fly accidentally, just sort of out of the side of my mouth. Oops! As I was trying, sort of telling a joke. Right. It's, it's outside, you know. It's in the park in the middle of town, and a um, woman came over at the bottom of the stage and banged on the stage to get my attention and said, you know, you're going to get arrested. And I thought, oh, she's being funny. So I'm all like, oh, now I'm going to get arrested. Because I, obviously, I don't mean to ever hurt anybody's feelings. That's not who I am. So I'm all like, oh, no, now I'm going to get arrested. And then this group of people were going, no, you might really get arrested. And I introduced the band or whoever it was, and I stepped down off stage. And it is illegal to say the F word out loud outside in Norfolk, Virginia. Now, just take a moment and mm-hmm. let yourself enjoy that irony. <laughs> right. Interesting. Don't people get caught all the time accidentally? You would think so, right? Right. Well, okay. So I know that um, that this isn't the first time that you've been in Indiana. So you performed in Indiana several years ago, right? What what brought you here? Well, I've been doing stand-up around our country since 93. I've been traveling and doing stand-up. There used to be um, a, a great producer. She just kind of, she retired. A woman who brought in live events into Indy at, at the first theater I ever did was at Madam Walker Theater. Awesome. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so the truth is, I've been to Indy, and then I've done Bloomington, what different groups bring you in, you know what I mean, for 
whether it's just me doing a show or we're fundraising or you're trying to um, bring awareness to some organization or some gay and lesbian center. So I've been to India or Bloomington many times to do shows. I haven't been back for a couple of years, and that's one of the other reasons why I was very excited to do Spencer Pride. It, it wasn't your comedy special and documentary called A Bottom on Top? Yeah, I have two comedy specials, and the one that I take for Logo, we did in Indiana. Because I have another one I take for Bravo that is, uh, we taped here in L.A. Cause, because it's not just my stand-up special, it's, there's a little documentary, just a little behind-the-scenes of me kind of thing in that. Sure. And, and I love the names of some of your tours that you've had, you know. Like, to- Totally Inappropriate, of course, is one of the best. Um, but also, Finally Legal. In some states. What, that was like 2009 when a handful of states jumped on with Massachusetts and stuff, because you know, Massachusetts was the first. You know what? I'm going to tell you the truth. It is harder for me to think of those names, sure. those marketing names, than it is for me to do all the comedy I do. I never know what to because you, you, you have an agent and you have like a publicist and all these people, they want you to think of something that stands out and is clever and and will make people come see you. It's so, there's so much pressure on that stupid thing. Someone's got to keep track of it. Now, I, I have to, to, to go back, okay, right? For, for anyone that doesn't, isn't aware of, of, you know, like you said, you would start it oh, in. Who I am or what I've done, yeah. Yeah. I'm in the, I'm in a, yeah, I'm like a, a medium celebrity, so, you know. Well, it, okay. Not and, everybody would know. <laughs> in, well, in 1991, you did an episode of Sally Jesse Raphael, and you were the first openly lesbian comedian to appear on, on television. That had to have been an interesting time, right? They actually, um, and it sounds offensive now, the subtitle of the show was Lesbians Who Don't Look Like Lesbians. And I think that, I think a lot of women would find that offensive now. Yeah. 25 years ago, that was like, if groundbreakingly liberal and unusual, yeah. You were getting exposure. You were, you were, you know. There had been a problem with it every time that lesbians were on um, the talk shows, Donahue, oh, brother, um, there had been a complaint by lesbians uh, to some of the pr- producers of these shows uh-huh. that how come whenever they have a lesbian speaking for us, she is ugly. I'm telling you, this is an actual thing people used to say. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it sounds so offensive to me now. Do you know what I mean? Sure, sure. Because there was a stereotype that a lesbian had, wore no makeup, had short hair, wore a flannel shirt, just things that we just, we no longer would look at that and be supportive of that stereotype in any way. Even right. if, you know what I mean? That's like so unusual. Back then, that mm-hmm. was a stereotype. It was stereotypes, and and for the guys, it was we all lisped, we all, right, wore frilly shirts. I don't know. <laughs> yes, but um, I mean, it, it's all it's all come so 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 far now, and 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 like we were talking, I think we're starting to understand that those are that, like I think that a very very feminine man and a very very masculine woman chooses to dress in that role. Right. Want to call it that? I love that. I feel so supportive. I love that we are open enough now to accept that 
there can be a person who is born a male who literally feels and identifies as a female, but there can also be a person who's born a male who just loves that role, loves that style, you know what I mean, is just drawn to that, mm-hmm. to that gender role, whatever it is, and both are equally okay. That's what I love, where we're going to right with that. I agree. Slowly, but we're making it. We, we have a very active, inclusive social group in our community here, um, and it's for youth um, of all the sexual orientations, gender identities, expressions, and everything, and they're called PRISM. And so I understand. I think I've heard of them. Have you? Exactly. They they've been on the show. They've won awards for their work. They have done. Uh, most recently, they've developed um, programs that educators can access for e- to educate themselves on how to deal with students of various sexual orientations, gender identities, and things. Can can you believe that? Isn't that wonderful? What it, what is happening now is. Astonishing and wonderful and fast. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. And it's, I'm so glad that it's happening because it's like if you watch television, you can get really depressed if you're watching all the news. If you're flipping, you know, people on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, you could get really depressed. And instead, when I go out there and meet people and, I, and do shows, it's, it's fun to see that. No, as a matter of fact, we're creeping right along. Right. We're doing great. You know what I mean? And I get, yay. Now, you're, you're involved with Pride Atlanta School, and, and that's a school for LGBTQ kids, right? Yes, and, and um, I think that what, how they want to, I don't want to speak for them, but I think they want to, I think they want to stay that way. But in the, in that way that there are all women colleges still, not, the idea isn't to exclude anybody. It's really just to make a place. Right, right. Or another group that feels marginalized by the bigger society. And you know what? It's okay to have those kind of groups, I think. Sure. It's okay. okay. You know what I mean? I I do understand what you're you're saying. There is a need for designated spaces for identity groups. Yeah, and I I don't think that that's an issue in the sense that, like, I don't see that as being a negative. I think that Mm -hmm. if all of one group, like I said, especially if it's a group that is, quote unquote, you know, marginalized, if they are made to feel like they're not part of the, the you know, the rushing waters of everything that's going o- along around them, it's nice to know that then you can go to a place where everyone else is having that same exper- experience and kind of, you know, brainstorm, like, what can we do that's better? I used to always say when I first came out, and then in the 80s, and then when I started doing stand-up in the 90s, I used to always say... Don't be afraid of questions. So when somebody comes up and says, why are you gay? Or how did you know you were gay? Or um, are you, did you try it with a man to make sure? Do you know what I mean? Whatever the question is, right. no matter how stupid it sounds, <laughs> the only way it gets, the only way things get better, the only way we get is through educating people. And I always tell people, answer the question. If they are asking you, that means that they're one step from now becoming the kind of person that will, in my opinion, start improving and changing their mind. Do you know what I mean? Right. They've already made the first step. So be awesome. Explain it. Why not? Yeah. Make the world better. Oh, my God, it'll be easy. It's... I'm sorry, I get really carried away on that particular subject. I'm an old school activist, you know. Sure. That's who I am, and 
I, I care so much about my career, and of course I want people to come to my shows, and I want to do well, and you know, everything that ever, but ultimately, if I really had just wanted to be a comic, and be a famous comic, what I wanted, I would not have been openly queer in right. the early 90s, because you, you weren't supposed to. That sounds unusual now, I, I understand that, but um, even gay people who were my friends would tell me, don't do that, don't say that you're gay, that's going to ruin it, you know what I mean, you're never going to get famous. And and did I un- understand that in your career, you you started it when you accepted a dare? Oh, it's a stupid, goofy story of, basically, um, I was a bartender at, do you remember Hulahan's, Hulahan's, Bennigan's Fridays, all those kind of right. bartender at a Hulahan, and people would say, oh, you're so funny, you should do comedy, and this is like 1989, 88, right? And I'm like, I'm not doing that, what am I supposed to do, get up there and start talking about some boyfriend, because I was already an activist, I was a member of ACT UP, and nice. uh, Queer Nation, and Lesbian Avengers, and all that madness, so this guy, who was like a regular, who just came in all the time, you know what I mean, just some, some Jersey guy, who just came into the, he's all like, so, what are you going to do, you're going to try it, or, you know, why don't you just try it, it's not like you can't, it's not like you're going to lose your bartender job, and you're never going to have a bartending job, <laughs> you know what I mean, and I'm like, right. oh, that's a really good point, <laughs> so they, a couple of my regulars, they, yeah, they sort of like went, here's this open mic contest, you win $25, you got to do like four minutes, right? And I was all like, okay. <laughs> and this is an the actual truth of that is, and it does make me sound like a goofy made-for-lifetime movie, but um, on July 31st of 1990, I got up at this contest, and I was all like, Hi, I'm Jen Westnapper. I'm a lesbian comedian, you know, and I think I did something like, I think I did something like, I know you you thought I would look a little more like Leona Helmsley. <laughs> nowadays, and no one even knows who that is. Right. Back then, that was not an insult, believe it or not. Right. I know. And, I, like, back then, that was like, we were just, you know, quote, unquote, breaking those stereotypes, right? Because this is the kind of thing I would not say these days. It's so funny. That's what we should, uh, I should do an interview someday where we talk about the difference in the 25 years of how we have gotten better. Well, we would we would welcome the opportunity to, to talk with you again about that. That would be so awesome. As far as the um, seeing you this Saturday in Spencer. Can't wait. We cannot wait either. It's it's just going to be so fun. And it's just, it's going to be a day that I, I guarantee you, I think, It'll put a smile on a lot of people's faces. I feel very strongly that this is going to be special and this is going to be a good year for it. You know what I mean? Nice. Yeah. Year, come on. I, I right, exactly. Suzanne, I am I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and just you know sharing. Thanks for caring about what I have to say. We we do, and we we appreciate all your your work and your talent and. Saturday. Okay, sounds great, Suzanne. Thank you so much again. Take care. Bye-bye. You're listening to Blooming Out on WFHB. That was the conclusion of our interview with Suzanne Westenhofer, and we appreciate the time she took to speak with us. Our next music break intro is from the newcivilrightsmovement.com, 
Maroon 5 announced recently that they are canceling their upcoming shows in North Carolina, citing the anti-LGBT law HB2. The multi-platinum and Grammy award-winning group was scheduled to play in Charlotte and Raleigh in September. We have announced that we will be canceling our upcoming shows in Charlotte and Raleigh, North Carolina, because of the recent passage of the HB2 legislation, the group said on their website. This was a difficult decision for us to make as a band. We don't want to penalize our fans in North Carolina by not performing for them, but in the end, it comes down to what we feel is morally right, as we feel everyone should be treated equally. HB2 bans transgender people from using the restroom that corresponds with their gender identity and strips control from local government over issues like minimum wage and non-discrimination ordinances. Studies show it is costing the state billions of dollars and will continue to do so until it's repealed or struck down by the courts. Here is Maroon 5 with This Summer's Gonna Hurt Like a Mother. Dancing in the street 
sipping champagne on the beach. It's so expensive, but she eats. Cause she's so fancy. Cause she's so fancy. Support for Blooming Out comes from the Center for Sexual Health Promotion in the School of Public Health at Indiana University. The center is dedicated to progressive research that contributes to society's understanding of sexuality and to training the next generation of sexual health professionals. For information about degree programs or research opportunities, you may visit the center on the web at sexualhealth.indiana.edu. Support for WFHB and Blooming Out also comes from The Back Door, downtown Bloomington's queerest bar, dance club, and venue. From live bands and DJs to drag shows and karaoke, there is something for everyone every day of the week. The Back Door is located at 207 South College in the alley behind Atlas Bar. More information can be found on Facebook or online at bckdoor.com. We're here on Blooming Out with this week's LGBTQ Plus headlines. From the advocate, as he has in every year of his presidency, President Barack Obama, has proclaimed June as Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender Pride Month. The 2016 proclamation, the last for his administration, was issued today and noted the great progress made toward equal treatment of LGBT Americans. It's the first proclamation since last year's Supreme Court marriage equality ruling, which came down June 26th, but also pointed out that there is more work to be done. Last year's landmark Supreme Court decision guaranteeing marriage equality in all 50 states was a historic victory for LGBT Americans, ensuring dignity for same-sex couples and greater equality across state lines, the president wrote. For every partnership that was not previously recognized under the law, and for every American who was denied their basic civil rights, this monumental ruling instilled newfound hope, affirming the belief that we are all more free when we are treated as equals. He noted his work on behalf of LGBT rights, including his 2014 executive order prohibiting companies doing business with the federal government from discriminating on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. He urged Congress pass legislation to this effect because no one should live in fear of losing their jobs simply because of who they are or who they love. LGBT individuals deserve to know their country stands beside them, Obama continued. That is why my administration is striving to better understand the needs of LGBT adults and to provide affordable, welcoming, and supportive housing to aging LGBT Americans. It is also why we oppose subjecting minors to the harmful practice of conversion therapy and why we are continuing to promote equality and foster safe and supportive learning environments for all students. We remain committed to addressing health disparities in the LGBT community. Gay and bisexual men and transgender women of color are, are at particularly high risk for HIV, and we have worked to strengthen our national HIV AIDS strategy to reduce new infections, increase access to care, and improve health outcomes for people living with HIV. 
The president further asserted that the need to combat discrimination does not stop at our borders and that defending and promoting the human rights of LGBT individuals is a priority in foreign policy. In line with America's commitment to the notion that all people should be treated fairly and with respect, champions of this cause at home and abroad are upholding the simple truth that LGBT rights are human rights, he wrote. There remains much work to do to extend the promise of our country to every American, he went on, but because of the acts of courage of the millions who came out and spoke out to demand justice and of those who quietly toiled and pushed for progress, our nation has made great strides in recognizing that what these brave individuals long knew to be true in their hearts, that love is love and that no person should be judged by anything but the content of their character. He closed with a call for all Americans to eliminate prejudice everywhere it exists and to celebrate the great diversity of the American people. The Advocate is also reporting on the death of Connie Kapalov, a member of the first same-sex couple to wed in New York City at the age of 90. Kapalov died Saturday. Her wife, Phyllis Siegel, told the New York Times Kapalov had been in the late stages of Alzheimer's disease, the paper notes. The two women had already been together 23 years when they married July 24, 2011, the date New York State's marriage equality law took effect. They were wed by the city clerk at the Marriage Bureau in Manhattan. At the time, they said the feeling was indescribable. They were among 823 same-sex couples selected by lottery to receive marriage licenses in New York City that day. I lost my breath, Siegel recalled in March. According to the Times, it was just the most exciting loss of breath I've ever had. I was just so happy. Kapilov was born in 1926 in Kokomo, Indiana, the Times reports. She left Indiana for Chicago and then New York, having received a bachelor's degree in political science from Northwestern University in 1947. She spent much of her life working for labor unions, including the Algamated Clothing Workers of America and the Workers' Defense League. She was especially concerned with women's issues, and she taught courses on women's labor history at Cornell University and New York University. She earned a master's degree from Goddard College in um, Vermont in 1974. She was always fighting for an issue, Siegel told the Times. She was always for the underdog. It was activism that brought them together. They met in the 1980s through their work with services and advocacy for GLBT elders. After their wedding, the, uh, the couple of Anne Siegel often received congratulations from strangers they encountered on the streets of New York. In June 2012, shortly before their first anniversary, they were among the grand marshals of the city's Pride March. In addition to Siegel, Kapilov is survived by a sister. Slate brings us a piece about Mississippi's new anti-gay bill, House Bill 1523. Mississippi's new anti-LGBTQ segregation law, House Bill 1523, contains a lot of legally dubious provisions, but no part is more blatantly unconstitutional than a ridiculous section purporting to create a separate but equal scheme for marriage licensing. Under the law, circuit clerks who are tasked with issuing marriage licenses can refuse to license same-sex couples based on their religious belief that marriage is or should be recognized as union of one man and one woman. That clause blatantly contradicts the Supreme Court's decision in Obergefell v. Hodges, which requires states to issue marriage license to same-sex couples on the same terms and conditions as opposite-sex couples. 
Roberta Kaplan emerged as Mississippi's fiercest LGBTQ rights defender after toppling the federal same-sex marriage ban back in 2013. Two years later, Kaplan secured a victory against Mississippi's same-sex marriage ban, then successfully fought to overturn Mississippi's anti-gay adoption law. Notably, her July victory took the form of a permanent injunction barring the state from restricting same-sex couples' marriage rights in any way. So when Mississippi passed its latest anti-LGBTQ legislation, Kaplan knew what to do. She simply asked to reopen the marriage case, asking the judge, Carlton W. Reeves, to enjoin the state from implementing HB 1523's marriage segregation provision. Reeves' injunction barred all agents, officers, employees, and subsidiaries of Mississippi from treating same-sex couples differently from opposite-sex couples. House Bill 1523 explicitly contravenes this order, granting circuit clerks the total freedom to turn away same-sex couples while continuing to license opposite-sex couples. But the state is zealously battling Kaplan's request to reopen the case, leading Kaplan to file a powerful reply brief on Wednesday, slapping down Mississippi's arguments against her most recent notion. As Kaplan summarizes the state's position, Defendants contend that gay couples seeking to marry in Mississippi should quietly abide the stigmatic injury of once again being relegated to second-class citizenship and live with the uncertainty of not knowing whether the circuit clerk in the county where they live and whose salary their tax dollars will help, uh, help to pay will stand in the way of their constitutional right to marry. And while much of the brief is devoted to swatting away the state's technical defenses, Kaplan manages to nail Republican Governor Phil Bryant for his Kim Davis-esque anti-gay and intransigence. Indeed, rather than express a willingness to meet constitutional requirements, Governor Bryant recently stated in a public address that the secular progressive opponents of House Bill 1523 don't know that if, if it takes crucifixion, we will stand in line before abandoning our faith and our belief in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Mississippi argues that even if House Bill 1523 does not does violate same-sex couples' constitutional rights, these couples should have to wait to be discriminated against before bringing legal action. That, Kaplan explains, is rubbish. Defendants suggest that plaintiffs should have to wait to have their day in court until there has been a violation of their constitutional rights and only then sue each offending circuit clerk. This is hardly an adequate legal remedy. Plaintiffs cannot reasonably be, reasonably be expected to wait until their rights are violated in order to seek relief. This court has already ruled that the state of Mississippi may not relegate any gay and lesbian couples to second-class citizenship. Gay and lesbian couples in Mississippi should not have to suffer the uncertainty of not knowing whether their trip to the circuit clerk's office to obtain a marriage license will end in joy or the humiliation of being turned away because of their second-class status. Luckily for Kaplan, the judge in the case is one of the country's best. Reeves wrote arguably the most comprehensive and cognate marriage equality decision of any federal district judge, an incredibly moving testament to the importance of equal dignity under the law. Kaplan's motion pushes this case one step closer to resolution, ensuring that every Mississippi couple's trip to the clerk's office will indeed end in joy, and not an absurd stigmatizing constitutional violation that the highest court in the land outlawed a year ago. 
And finally this evening, we want to report good news out of Valparaiso, Indiana. The city council last week passed a city comprehensive LGBT non-discrimination ordinance. Robert Cotton, a council member whose family was the first African-American family to move to Valparaiso, said, or when he was 11 years old, stated, it's kind of poetic justice that I sit here. We have this opportunity to write the next chapter of Valparaiso's history. Valparaiso Mayor John Costas was elated with the outcome, saying members of the LGBT community are our neighbors, our co-workers, our family members, and our family citizens, and why would we want to deny them basic civil protections? Well, that is all the time we have for news this evening. Up next is our final music break of the night from entertainmentweekly.com. Bruce Springsteen, Maroon 5, Pearl Jam, and Ringo Starr have all canceled concerts in North Carolina to protest the state passing House Bill 2, a law dictating that transgender people must use the public restroom in this, uh, of the sex they were assigned at birth. Dave Matthews' band will keep their May 27th date in Charlotte, but they're donating a portion of the proceeds to five organizations that work to defend equality. American Civil Liberties Union, Lambda Legal, ACLU of North Carolina, Equality North Carolina, and Time Out Youth. Dave Matthews' band join other acts like Jimmy Buffett, Greg Allman, who've also decided to keep their North Carolina shows despite their options on the legislation opinions on the legislation. I know that North Carolina is a state full of good folks and loyal fans, many of whom are angry about and feel misrepresented by this action, he said in a statement. My band and I will continue to play our show as scheduled there and hope that our music unites people in this challenging time. So here is Dave Matthews Band with Every Day. Pick me up, love. Pick me up, Pick me up from the bottom up to the top, love. Every day, pay no mind to toss or advances. Take my chances on every day, left to right, up and down, love. Push up, love, love. Every day.
That was the Dave Matthews Band with Every Day. No matter your orientation, it's likely you've participated in a coming out story. Maybe you were the listener. Maybe you were the reader. Maybe you were the storyteller. Our segment, Open Doors, takes a closer listen to these important stories. Each week, we'll bring you one coming out story from our community. This is Lee. Um, I think I first knew that I was attracted to women when there was a co-team member on my basketball team who told me that she had a crush on me and I think for the very first time I had butterflies in ways that I never felt for a guy I had a boyfriend at the time and for some reason he never did what she did as far as feelings wise and so that's when I knew that something was different about me liking women and I think initially I was fearful because I didn't really know what that meant for me I knew that when I was younger probably in elementary and middle school I was attracted to young girls I was also a young girl (laughs) Um, but it was complicated um, because I went through this weird stage in middle school and early high school where I was told to like boys um, and I did I guess Um, but I think it was in high school where I really realized that wow this is this is a different kind of like Um, The very first person I told I think was actually myself because I didn't believe it and I wrote it in a journal and I said, Lee, you may be gay. Um, And I didn't really know what that meant at that time, but all I knew was I needed to kind of come out to myself because I was in a relationship with a guy at the time and so I really didn't believe it. And I never told him still to this day that the reason why I broke up with him was because of a woman. I still find myself attracted to men physically, but then I go, ooh, you're a guy. So, nope, not my thing. That was Lee. Open Doors is reported and produced by IU student David Crossman and Meredith Thiemann. Stormy Dayhoff, Matt Peterson, and Taylor Hurt as co-producers. This series was born from an audio journalism class at Indiana University. And here's a roundup of upcoming LGBTQ plus events in Bloomington and the surrounding communities. Pride season has finally arrived, and don't forget that the city of Spencer kicks off Pride celebrations for the state on Saturday, June the 4th. The 10th anniversary edition will be held from 10 a.m. until 8 p.m. on the Spencer Courthouse Square and features various vendors, entertainment on the Ivy Tech Bloomington stage, and children's activities. More information can be found on Facebook. The Circle City Indie Pride will soon be here as well. The week-long celebration includes a rainbow 5K run and walk, and a pet pride event on June 4th, an interfaith service on June 5th, and a number of other events leading up to the big day on June 11th. This year's event is presented by Delta Airlines with three entertainment stages, multiple food vendors, and a parade. More information can be found by visiting circlecityinpride.org or by visiting Facebook. The Indiana Fever will hold Diversity Night, a fundraiser for the Indiana Youth Group, on Friday, June the 10th at 7 p.m. when the Fever takes on the Chicago Sky at Banker's Life Fieldhouse. This game has been designated a Lucas Oil Family Night presented by IndyStar.com. Included with this ticket is a complimentary food voucher for a hot dog, chips, and a drink, as well as a Fever hat. You may purchase discounted tickets as a group, and portions of this ticket will go back to IYG. 
You can find those tickets at www.fevergroups.com slash IYG. Also on June 10th, the back door will once again hold Bloomington Pride's lip sync battle to raise money for this year's Summerfest. Entry is $5, then your dollars count as votes for your favorite con- contestants. The top three lip syncing fundraisers then compete for the Audience Choice Award to decide who will be crowned this year's winner. As always, all funds raised go directly to the cause. Stay for the dance party afterwards. Doors open at 8.30, show at 9.30. More information can be found on the Back Doors Facebook page. Free and confidential HIV testing will be provided by Positive Link at the IU GLBT Student Support Service Office from 11 a.m. till 2 p.m. on Thursday, June the 16th. The Shining Light Gala will be held on June 18th in the NCAA Grand Ballroom in Indianapolis. The gala is a benefit to shine a light of hope and awareness on LGBTQ youth suicide. There will be a performance by LGBT pioneer and activist Sandra Bernhard. General admission dinner and show are $85 per person, and the VIP cocktail reception with Sandra is $125. You can purchase tickets at indianyouthgroup.org. All the links for the events listed above can also be found in the events section on our website, bloomingout.com. If you would like to add your event to our event calendar, please email us at bloomingout at wfhb.org. You can also call us at 812-323-1200. Tweet us at bloomingoutwfhb, visit our Blooming Out Facebook page, or find us on Instagram. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Executive producer of Blooming Out is Joe Crawford. The producer is Ryan Shaddy, and our board engineer is Sarah Hetrick. For Blooming Out, I'm Jeff Poley. And I'm Ryan Shaddy. From all of us here at Blooming Out, we wish you a safe and happy Pride Month. Be out loud and proud. Tune in again next week at 6 p.m. or listen to us online at bloomingout.com. Thank you for joining us on Blooming Out. Be sure to find us online for past episodes, behind-the-scenes exclusives, and more at bloomingout.com. And don't forget to tune in every Thursday at 6 p.m. for Blooming Out on WFHB.